0: Understanding the love of God. And uh, I received the witness in my spirit when I was praying regarding this, understanding the love of God, uh, that the Lord wanted me to share some things about this. So before we get into the Word of God, let's open up with a brief word of prayer. Father, we set ourselves in agreement this morning, and we thank you that you are faithful. You've given us your Word, you've given us your Spirit. And with those two things, we cannot lose. We have your Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of us. And He is here today as the mighty teacher, the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking you right now, Father, Sir, Father, I'm asking you, Lord, to open the eyes of our understanding today. Fill our hearts, fill our minds with revelation, just like you did in the first service, Lord fill our hearts with revelation today in Jesus name amen i receive how about you you know it's funny uh not really but it's i'd say that just saying it's interesting how that every time that i get up here to speak i end up saying things i didn't prepare to speak you know but you know after after uh 30 some years of doing this you know ministering to people you you practice yielding to the Holy Spirit. You know, I, it used to scare me spitless when I first started in the ministry, and I thought, what if I get off my notes? I mean, I was terrified about it. You know what I'm saying? I didn't understand back in the day, back in the 80s. You know, like in 82, 83. I didn't understand how to yield at least that I knew of, I didn't know how to really yield yet to the Holy Spirit. I I heard about it. I heard people talk about it. I I heard preachers talk about the need to do that. But you know, there's always a first time for everything. Amen? And I was, I mean, when I first started, I just stuck to my notes. I mean, just, and I, I never thought about getting off and saying something else. And the Lord slowly but surely began to teach because I was not... I was not given to public speaking. Most of you know my testimony that I was not a public speaker. I was very uncomfortable with anything that had to do with public, you know. And when God started talking to me about going to the ministry, I thought, oh my God, you've got the wrong person here. And I couldn't get away from it, you know. And uh, I felt like Jonah running from God. I mean, I was just terrified. You know, I wanted it, but I was terrified because I wasn't. I wasn't used to yielding to the Holy Spirit. But here's what I began to find out. You know, God will work right with you where you're at. And if you don't get it the first time, there's a second time, there's a third time. He'll continually work with you. And that's one thing about God. He just doesn't give up on you. People might give up on you, but let me tell you something. God never gives up on you. He doesn't quit because He knows your potential in Him. And so I found myself little by little as I would minister in little Bible studies and so forth, home groups, you know. That I'd I'd would be sharing right from my notes, and all of a sudden an example would pop in my head, and I was like, just instantly, and I was like, okay, I'll go with that, you know, and so I would get off my notes and come over here and I'd start sharing something that I wasn't really, that I didn't premeditate, and I would share that, and then it would bless the people, and so I began to realize that's how the Holy Spirit will work with you. You know, you take the first step, and then He takes the next step. You know, what I mean, you never get the whole picture at once. Isn't that right? You might get one scripture, but then you step out and you obey that. And then here comes the next thing. And then here comes the next thing. And, and it's just like praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues. You know, you're trusting God for every syllable. And that's why you're stirring up your faith because every time you speak, you're trusting Him. It's like, I speak, I trust, I speak, I trust, I trust, 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 trust. And then all of a sudden you're constantly getting these, the language of the Holy Spirit like that. And that's how faith operates. Is it constantly? And let me tell you something. You're, you're not going to wear God out with your faith. Amen? You're never going to, he's never going to say, you know, I'm tired of you using my faith. I'm tired of you coming to my throne. He loves it when you and I come before Him. He does. He loves it when we come before Him and we ask Him, looking unto Him to bring whatever it is that we need. Amen? Well, if you go to your Bibles this morning, I want you to open up once again We looked at this scripture last week and we'll kind of go from there again in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Now I made mention of the fact last week in starting this that none of us here, how many of you here have ever ever been misunderstood by somebody? Anybody? Maybe your husband, your wife, your kids, uh, you know, family, relatives, neighbors, you know, you've been misunderstood. Nobody likes to be misunderstood. See, God knows your heart but other people might not know your heart. The Bible even says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And God sometimes can use things that, from the natural that look foolishness to us, but he can, he can use anybody. He can talk through anybody. The Bible even t- tells us that He spoke through a donkey one time to get a message to somebody, right? Well, that gives me hope. If, the, if, the, if God can use a donkey to speak, then He can use me. Amen. <laughs> The Bible, King James says, the Lord made the dumb ass to speak. <laughs> I won't say any more about that. That's what the Bible says. I'm not cussing, okay? I'm just saying, that's what the Bible says. Okay? <laughs> but in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, now God has been, and I said that to say this, that None of us like to be misunderstood. I have been misunderstood before. And I, I try my best to clarify, to over-clarify what my intentions are, what I'm doing, and so forth so that people can understand. And, uh, but the most misunderstood being that ever has existed is God the Father. He has been more misunderstood by people and by religion, by theologians <laughs> that misrepresent Him. Okay. But here's here's what we want to talk about again. I started this last week and we're talking about understanding the love of God slash the goodness of God. Now in Romans chapter 2 in verse 4, we're going to look at this in two translations. The King James first. Paul says here by the Spirit, he says, "...or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, the forbearance of his longsuffering, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance." Okay? Notice it's the Goodness of God. Say that. Goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads thee to repentance or a 180, a turnaround. That's all repentance means. In other words, you were going south, now you want to go north. That's repent. You turn and go the opposite direction. Okay? Now, let's look at this in the NLT, the New Living Translation. Okay? And let's see. There we go. And it says... Uh, Or despisest thou, I'm sorry, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's His kindness. I got to thinking about this scripture. If If it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Now, when people see the goodness of God, Jesus... Was a prime example of this because when he came, he came to show us what the Father was like. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will suffice us or it will satisfy us. And he made mention back to him, he responded back to Philip. He said, Philip, he says, Haven't I been with you all this time? He that hath seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. Jesus came to show us what the Father was like every deed, word, action that Jesus did was an exact replica of what God the Father would have done. Because Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only speak what I hear Him say to me. So, Jesus was the expressed will of God the Father in His deeds, His word, and His actions. And you'll see that in the ministry of Jesus that when when good things would take place, You'll notice this this phrase, Jesus was moved with compassion, okay? Jesus was moved with compassion. Now it says that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you can read about that. Jesus was moved with compassion. Now every time that Jesus was moved with compassion, something supernatural took place. Prime example, when he saw the multitudes and they were listening to him for several hours... And they were hungry. The end result was he was moved with compassion. And there was a miracle of the multiplication of the fish and the loaves. A couple of different occasions that fed the multitude. Amen. People would come to him. uh, He had compassion on the sick. And he healed them. Okay. Does anybody here know what it's like to feel compassion? You felt that, that yearning inside of you. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about pity. Because pity has no power to it. <laughs> there's a lot of pitiful people and they have no power to them at all. Amen. They, I feel sorry for so and so. I feel sorry. But that doesn't do anything. Amen. But there's something about compassion is a person. Which is Jesus. And when he was moved with compassion. That was, a, that was the Holy Spirit leading him to do certain things. Sometimes I feel, you can feel compassion in different ways. You can feel compassion to say something to somebody, to encourage them. That's a big one right there. That's, you'll be used more in that area than any other area. Trust me. Because the words of your mouth, you, God put words in your, he taught you how to speak so that not, it's not a, just a way of communicating. But he wants to, he wants to he'd force his compassion and love through our lips. Okay? Now anger can be you know communicated through your lips right fear can be communicated through your lips but also compassion can be communicated through the words of your mouth the scripture even says a soft answer turns away wrath but grievous words stir up anger amen a soft answer Amen. Somebody comes at you, whoom, and they got some anger issues. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Don't get on that level with them because you're you're fire with fire. There, it's only going to get worse. But it says that grievous words will stir up anger, but a soft answer in Proverbs says can turn away wrath. Okay, just smiling at them. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let me get back to my. Notes here, my computer shut down for a second here. It says it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. So, here's what I want to say. is this? We covered this a little bit last week. If there's any area that the devil wants to lie about more than anything, it's how good God is. Let me tell you something. The churches that are in this area, not only our church, but other churches that are preaching the gospel in this, tri- in this tri-state area, if people really understood how good God is, you couldn't keep them away from the church. This room would be so small. You had to to take that wall out there and churches. There would not be enough room for the amount of people that would flock to something when they see the goodness of God. When Jesus fed the multitude... He he took care of their bodies first and then all of a sudden He's got multitudes of people wanting to follow Him. When people were healed, multitudes of people, and even in the Acts of the Apostles, okay, in the the, the book of Acts, when people would see the goodness of God show up, miracles would take place. And and people would want to flock and be a part of that, amen? And so we shouldn't be afraid about the goodness of God because let me tell you something, it's the best thing that could ever happen to people, Amen. I know sometimes we cliche things in Christian circles. We say, oh, God is good. And people say all the time. You know. And we, we've heard that for so many years. I remember there was a church I used, to be, I used to go to and they had a big poster, God is good. But you know, you can say something so often that it becomes like dull to our hearing. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't have the same impact. It's just like a phrase. A little cliche. God is good. But just take those words, three words, God is good. Now we used this illustration last week, and I saw this in my spirit, that God is a God of absolutes. Okay? How many of you know that God, the Bible says God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all? There's no darkness in God. He's all light. Also, on that same note, God is all good, and there's no bad in him. There's no evil in him. He's all good. Now, most of us, if you're, you know, if you're from this area in the northeast or, or even further north, you know, we know what it's like to have a cold winter, don't we? We know what it's like to have been in cold weather and so forth. And I remember one time when I was a, you know, just a teenager, I got frostbite because I was out playing hockey and being stupid of me. I kept playing outside and it was below zero. And both of my feet got frostbite. That was not a, a fun thing to deal with. Okay? And God had mercy on me and healed me because it was bad. It was really bad. You know? And, uh, and, and as, as much as we've experienced cold, so if someone said, man, I'm freezing my, my rear end off. People say, you know, or this or that. You know, it's, it's so cold, so cold. Yet, what we don't realize is there's actually heat. Even if it's 32 below zero. Even if it's 100 below zero, there's still heat in the air. Let me tell you what absolute heat is. Negative, listen to this, 459.67 degrees below Fahrenheit. Someone says negative 32, negative 40 below zero. Boy, that's cold. Not to us it is. But there, you know, there's still heat. Okay? There's still heat in that air, even though you can't feel it. But absolute coldness is 459 degrees, .67, below zero. Say, wow. <laughs> nothing would survive in that. Nothing would survive in that. Now, God is absolutely 100% good. And the only thing that He has to give is actually good. He has nothing bad to give you. Okay? Okay? Praise God. God is good. Capital G-O-O-D. God is good. Now I make mention of this because of time here. Jesus said in Matthew 23, He said, O oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I wanted to gather your children together as hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you would not allow me. That's what Jesus was saying to the elders of Israel, to the leaders of Israel. He says, God wanted to gather you to bless you. But He says, You would stone and you would kill the people that I sent to you. Isn't that a sad thing? Every time God would send a prophet in the Old Testament, you know, that they ended up being stoned or ridiculed or this or that, you know. And God was trying to gather them to do something for them. Praise God. Now, now, Last week, let's go over here to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And I want to talk about this, a little more about this subject called the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And I think that's something that we need to amplify. Amen? You have to ask yourself sometimes, what am I focused on? A lot of times people become focused on their problems. Okay? And it's very difficult to help somebody that's solely and wholly Focused on their, their issues on their problems, whatever they may be. Okay, and if you get so focused on the problem and focused on that, focused on that, it's going to be really hard to move from fear to faith because of what, what we're looking at. Lamentation says it like this: mine eye affecteth mine heart because of the daughters of the city. Now what, what does that mean? Lamentations. My eye affects my heart. In other words, what you look at will affect the condition Of your heart. Okay? If you look, if you're looking at the natural, if you're looking at the natural circumstances of your life, if you're looking at your surroundings, and you're looking at your government, or you're looking at whatever, okay? And you're just solely focused on the natural. The devil's a flesh devil, and if he can keep you and me in the natural, he's already got us defeated. Kenneth Hagin, my spiritual father, used to say this. He said, if you fight the devil in the arena of reason, he'll whip you every time. Yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, but if you fight the devil in the arena of faith, you whip him every single time. Okay? Because reason has to do with the five senses. What you can see, hear, taste, touch, smell. Touchy-feely. Amen? But see, God works apart from the five physical senses. Faith faith works separate from the five physical senses. Your body may tell you that you're sick. Your body may say there's a pain there. Your body may say there's there's something that's uncomfortable in my body. Your body has a voice. Your body, but the Word of God has a voice too. Amen? Now sometimes if I ask my body, body, how are you feeling today, Keith? How are you feeling today? Well, I don't feel too good. You know, does your body ever not feel good sometimes? <laughs> Do you ever have symptoms in your body? So if you ask your body, how are you doing today? One of the most loaded questions that probably not, you shouldn't ask somebody is, how are you feeling? But people, you know, they say that like they care. How are you feeling, honey? You doing all right? It's a better question to be, how are you doing? Okay? Praise the Lord. It's a loaded thing when you, you give people like a... I don't know, like a blank check when you say, how are you feeling? Well, they could come up with anything, then it could get worse, right? So if I ask my body sometimes, body, how are you feeling today? Well, my body may not feel good, but if I go to the Word of God and I say, Bible, how am I feeling today? The Bible says, you're healed. <laughs> it, so it goes, to, it goes back to who you ask Him, who you inquiring of, right? The Word of God never changes. Hallelujah. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And every time I've gone to the Word of God, it doesn't give me something sad to cry about. It says, you're healed, or you're victorious. I mean, 1 John chapter 5, I mean, you talk about an overcomer, the Apostle John. Bible history tells us that they tried to boil, they, they couldn't kill him. They tried to boil him in a vat of oil, a human French fries. And he just popped right up. (laughs) <laughs> they couldn't kill him. Amen. Uh, Rick Renner, who's a Greek scholar, talked about this. He's got all kind of information on that, and uh, and he said they just said we oh, were going to put him out on the Isle of Patmos, where they put all the prisoners out there, and thinking they could shut him up, thinking they could stop him. And they got out. he wrote the book of Revelation. Jesus appeared to him on the on the Isle of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. The devil couldn't stop him, but gee. Uh John the apostle was the last living apostle. He died a natural death of old age, not of sickness or disease. He wasn't beheaded, but he had more revelation than any of the apostles. He referred to himself, I've said this before, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You read the Gospel of John. He 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 says I'm the one I'm the one that Jesus loved. Now, truth be told, Did Jesus really love John more than the other apostles? No, no. He loved them all with the same love. We'll see that here in a second. He loved them up to the end. We're going to read that in John. Up to the very end. And we'll see that in just a few minutes here. But um, Jesus loved all. He loved Peter. He loved James. He loved John, Bartholomew. He loved all the disciples, 12 disciples, even Judas, with the same intensity of love. But only one of them had a real revelation of how much they were loved, and that was the Apostle John. He's called the Apostle of Love. People nickname him that for good reason. But John understood perfect love cast out fear. He's the one that coined that statement by the Lord. But he he would make statements like this we read about in 1 John. He says, For whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith in Him. Even our faith. If, if, if it's in the world, it can be overcome. I'm telling you what, if, if you're facing anything, I don't care what it is right now. We all have challenges, don't we? No matter what we're facing in this life, we've got to keep things like this before our eyes all the time, or the devil will talk us into discouragement. How many of you know it's so easy to get discouraged? It doesn't take any effort at all. It's easy to just go, Oh, man, here we go again. You know, get into the rut of discouragement. But discouragement comes with a thought, first and foremost. It comes with a thought like you're not going to make it. You're not going to have enough. You don't have what it takes. This isn't going to be taken care of. Yeah, it might have happened for someone else down there, but it's not going to happen to you. And a feeling of hopelessness. Okay? But... Here's the thing, if we go to God and we go to His Word, He never has any bad stuff to say to us, never. He doesn't say, yeah, I know what you're going through, I feel bad for you, wish I could do something for you. You'll never hear God say that. <laughs> Amen. Amen? Now there's one party you never want to go to. How many of you like parties? You know, the right kind of party, you know what I mean? I'm not talking booze and drugs and stuff, you know. I'm talking about a good, wonderful party. You don't need, I mean, when you're in God, you don't need that stuff anyway. You don't need drugs, you don't need booze to have a good time. There are people that think they can't have a good time unless they open a bottle and drink it. Are you kidding? What a deception. Huh? Amen. Our joy is in God. There's one party you never want to go to, and that's Pity Party. Feeling sorry for yourself. Listen, I know what it's like to have a pity party. I know what it's like to feel sorry for myself. But let me tell you something. Been there and done that. Don't want to go there anymore because let me tell you something. When, when, we, when we entertain that, oh, feeling sorry for yourself. It invites demons and evil spirits to torment you even worse. Okay? Amen? And you just resist that, say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going there. We're not going to have a pity party here. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, over in Chronicles, we saw something last week here. God instructed David to have Solomon build the temple. David wanted to build the temple. But the Lord said, you have too much blood on your hands. He goes, I'm going to give that task to your son. And it took like, I don't know, 45 years or so, whatever it was, 44, 45 years, to build the uh, tabernacle where God's presence would be there and so forth. You know, it was a magnificent, most magnificent building. You you haven't seen anything. That, That puts Trump's tower to shame. I'm not criticizing that. That's beautiful. You understand? But I'm saying it was the most magnificent building ever that existed on this earth. It was more, worth more than anything you can imagine. We're talking solid gold and all kind of precious gems. But God had him do that, right? Now, after so many years of preparing this facility and this building uh, for at God's instructions as a habitation of God, at that time in the Old Testament, we look here at Second Chronicles chapter five, verse eleven. This is the final day, the coronation, when everything is coming down to the wire. You know, and uh, I almost said they're going to break the champagne bottle over the uh, the building, but they're not going to do that. You understand what I mean by that? They're going to cut the ribbon. This is the opening day, so to speak. Now look at what happened right here in verse 11. It says, And it came to pass when the priests that were come out of the holy place, for all the priests were present, were sanctified, and did none of them wait by course. Verse 12, Also the Levites, which were the singers of all them, then Asaph, Heman, and with their sons and their brethren being arrayed with white linen, having cymbals and psaltery of hearts, stood at the east end of the altar with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding the trumpets. Notice that. This is a loud place, okay? they got instruments, right? And it came, verse 13, And it came to pass that as the trumpeters and the singers were one. Now notice that. They were as one to make one sound and heard in praising and thanking the Lord when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying for he is good and his mercy endureth forever So notice uh, this is a loud place This is what we would call a, a church service this is a tabernacle a different okay but let's see, you know, in this service they had instruments. They had trumpets, psaltery, uh, harps, and little instruments like drums, percussion instruments. So God's not against that. There are some, you know, there are some denominations that think it's, it's sacrilegious to have an instrument other than your voice in the church. There are, there are, there are religions today that, 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 you know, there's no instruments, okay? Just your voice, you know what I'm saying? Well, why did God create all those things? I mean, you read Psalm 150, you'll find out. Play, the, play skillfully before it on the loud instruments and cymbals and harps and all this kind of stuff. Hallelujah. But notice that they were doing it in one accord, in one place. And they said this. They lifted up their voice and they said this phrase. Here's what I want you to see. For He is good and His mercy endures forever. Alright, now notice what happened after that. After they did this, when they sang that, that phrase, that then the house was filled with a cloud, or even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, that's the glory cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. The glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Very seldom, it's not impossible. It's difficult sometimes to get people in harmony and unity when it comes to worship. You know what I'm saying? It's not impossible. It certainly isn't impossible. But sometimes it's challenging in the days that we live in because we've got so much going on in our lives. We're thinking about. Sometimes we're in church and we're here, we're here for a reason, but we're, our minds are off somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? We're thinking about something we've got to do you know, during the, the course of the week, but that's not even here yet. You see, and it hinders us from entering into a place of unity and power. Now, I experienced this uh, the first time that I experienced. It, I remember this. See, I used to go to a, an, a to an AG church when I first got saved. My sister took me to an Assembly of God church. Now, at that time, when I went to this particular church, I mean, now things have changed a lot. A lot of politics have come in. And back in the day when I used to go to this particular church when I was just a 17, 18 year old teenager, uh, this church believed in the power of God. The pastor that was there was from overseas and he, he actually knew Smith Wigglesworth. Okay. I don't know if you remember know Pastor Robert Owen when he was, you know, he was, the man knew Smith Wigglesworth. He was in his meetings. Okay. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And But this man, he was from Wales, precious man of God. He was from Wales. And he believed in the baptism of the Spirit, the new birth, the gifts of the Spirit. And I mean, uh, especially on Sunday nights, they would have Sunday night service. I never thought about missing. We had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I, I was always there. Yeah. Boom, I was there when it happened. Yeah. And uh, and they would always make way for the Spirit to move at the end of the service. Somebody would be playing the piano and worshiping, you know, and and uh, not everybody stayed but a lot of people stayed they would go up around the altar and it was just to wait upon the Lord and to praise and thank Him and move you know just to get into His presence you know and at that time there was such a hunger for that you know and I wanted that so bad you know and I was so new at this I was so green you know new at this that I just wanted to because there were some people there that had been in the Lord for a long time a lot more than me and I would see and I would hear the manifestation of God, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And it wasn't like, yay, little children. It was, you know what I mean, like there was power behind it. You know what I'm saying? There was power behind it. And uh, you just knew it. It wasn't some wimpy prophecy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not making fun of somebody, but it's like there is power there. Amen? And there was one lady in particular... Um, what was her name? Sister, she's with the Lord now. But this, this little, she was a small little Pentecostal lady, but I mean to tell you, yes. Spirit of God would come on her and I mean to tell you, she would prophesy and it was like the roof was going to blow off the church building, you know? I mean, it just would send shivers up my spine because it was so powerful, you know what I mean? And it was during those times that I experienced the presence of God like that when I was so young and I was exposed to that. But nowadays, you go into a lot of churches, they don't allow that. They put a stop to it. Kick the Holy Ghost out. That's the worst mistake anybody could make. Because we want to be seeker sensitive. Well, when you become seeker sensitive, that means you throw out the gifts of the Spirit. You throw out the power of God. You know what I'm saying? What are you left with? Dead religion. Okay? You all still love Pastor Keith? Okay, And I'm not, critici- I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not calling any names. I'm just saying, beca- because people want to please people, they throw out the good stuff, thinking that if they could just do things politically correct, you know, to make everybody, you know, man, you're, you're in bad shape if you do that. Amen? But I remember, fast forward a couple of years before that, after God had put me into a, a Word of Faith Bible Church, you know, that's where I met my wife. Praise God. And God supernaturally led me to this church that I was going to at this time. It was Pittsburgh Christian Fellowship at the time. You know, it was in Dormont. And uh, and it, it was there was probably 40 people in the church at the time. It was just a small little. We rented a Baptist, an old Baptist church. It was a really old church. They actually tore the building down recently because it was so old. And, you know, it was, they condemned it basically. You know, the building. And uh, But I, I remember... Uh, some of you might have heard this testimony, but it says they were, they were in this place and they were with one voice and lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and they praised God and they said this, they sang, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. That it then, at that point, the cloud of God's glory, now I've seen that cloud before, not in a thick sense, not where I couldn't see anything else. I would see a mist at times. There are times that I ministered And I would see that mist very lightly. Okay? But I knew it was the presence of God. It was the glory. It wasn't because there was a fog machine. Substitute for the glory of God. Substituting brass for gold. Fog machines. All you're going to do is turn the fire alarm on in the church. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) You get too thick in there with that 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 smoke, you know, it's going to turn on the fire alarms. They're going to go off. It's actually happened before. Um, but I'm talking about the real thing, the glory of God, the presence of God. Let me give you, let me set the stage for you here. I was in this, I was I was just younger in the Lord. You know, I've already been baptized in the Spirit. I, w- I received that at the last church I was at, at the assembly church, you know, when Brian Rudd came in, you know, and ministered. Uh, he was an evangelist. And I was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then, The Lord's just starting to do things. I mean, I never experienced Him moving in my life like I had back then. It was just so awesome, to what He was doing to me, you know. I was so hungry for Him. I just wanted more of Him, you know. And uh, I didn't want religion. I just wanted God. I wanted Jesus. And I had other friends that wanted that too. And I I thank God for that, you know. So anyway, we were having a church service in this church, you know. And the the pastor was a Ray McGrath. He went to Rhema in 1979. And so he had been taught correctly in the things of God, moving in the Spirit and so forth under Brother Hagin, you know. And at that time, Brother Hagan was the leading prophet in the land, in the, literally in the, in, in the world at that time, Brother Kenneth E. Hagin. He was the leading prophet in the land, a proven ministry, a prophetic ministry. Well, this particular Sunday, we came together and had worship like we do before we preach the Word of God. And uh, I think you were already off to rain at that time. Yeah. You were already, because she went a year ahead of me. We kind of met between that, you know. And, and I never, this church was so small. It had wooden pews and it had a tiny little balcony that could sit about three people. <laughs> I don't even know even why they had a balcony. It was it Put about three people up there, you know. It was real small. And that's where the sound booth was, okay. <sighs> On this particular Sunday... And it was during the summer. I remember that. We came together. Now, the instruments weren't exactly in tune. But we did the best that we could, you know. And I, I played guitar, but I wasn't playing that service. Okay, in that service, because we would take turns. You know, I was in the, in the chairs, right? I was in like the second or third row on the left, on the right side of the pul- pulpit, if you're looking out. And as we began to praise, it was like everybody just all of a sudden it was like there was it was like a a conductor you know have just seen that at the at the symphony the conductor will come out there and he's got that long wand you know and he's got his that long hair and he shakes his hair back you know <laughs> <laughs> remember that it was almost like an invisible conductor came out and everybody in that room was just was just like worship a spirit of worship just came in that place and we just start. I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about it right now. But we just started to worship. Now, I know more expected to happen to me than to be the next astronaut on Mars, what happened. As we're standing there, I mean, I'm just feeling God's presence. I'm feeling it, feel it physically, you know. As we're standing there praising God in open worship, we're not talking singing to a song. We're just like, oh, Lord, we worship you, we praise you, hallelujah, singing in the spirit, you know. All of a sudden, out of the clear blue, I hear what sounded to me like a choir of about a half a million people of voices like crescendoing like woo, like somebody turned the volume just up, you know. Now, when I first heard that, I thought now the, the sound guy, his name was Paul. <laughs> I thought he was messing with the sound up there. <laughs> Because he, he, was, he, you know, he had a little cantankerous side to him at times, you know. Then I'm thinking, he's doing this during the... He's turning on a tape during the worship and he's cranking it like this. And I look, I look back and he's up there like this with his hands up in the air, just lost, lost in worship. So he's not like, you know, doing stuff. I mean, I, I literally at this moment, I have goosebumps running up and down my, my body right now thinking about this. But I heard the most... I heard with these ears the most magnificent choir of voices I have ever heard in my life. It was above and beyond anything uh, that I've ever heard. Now, I didn't know what that was. I thought, now I didn't didn't even, it didn't even compute to me that it might be angels. I mean, I'd never even thought of that before. The thought never entered my mind. And it only lasted maybe 15 seconds, 12 seconds like that. It was just, and then it just, but it was like, there was like a holy hush over that place. Now, I didn't say anything to anybody. But the very next Sunday, seven days later, we came together, same time, have church service. All of a sudden, two or three people got up, because he would, the pastor there at that time, you know, he was kind of free, and that was good, he was free in the Spirit. And there would be testimonies that would come up, people would say stuff, God just did this to me, God did that to me, you know, and those are good things to have sometimes, Amen. And so a guy would come up, a lady would come up, you know. And these were older people. And they said, you know, at this time in the service last week, as we were worshiping, I heard the angels singing. Okay? Now, this is back when I was even afraid to get in front of one person to talk. Because I was terrified of getting, of crowds, of getting in front of people and speaking. Okay, I just wouldn't do it. But it was like some invisible force grabbed me, and I ran up front. I ran up front, and I grabbed the microphone, and I testified to. That had to be God. And I said, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that was. But now I know what that was because I heard the same thing. Now, I don't know that everybody in the place, it didn't seem like everybody heard that. Only the spiritual ones, you know, of course. But oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. But but I I heard it, I heard it, undeniable, undeniable, undeniable evidence that I heard angels singing. Now, through the years, there's been other churches that, Rodney Howard Brown, for example, um, he was in, they have it on tape, actually. You can YouTube, you can hear it. And that's the exact same thing I heard. There's a point in the service where it's like, and there's a lot more people there, of course, but there's there no doubt it wasn't human beings that were singing like this. You know, if you look it up, and it, it's just the most holy thing you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Amen? Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't even planning on saying that, but I believe the devil is a master at distractions. Yes. He's a master. He's been around a long time. And he knows how to distract people. Okay? Now first and foremost, if he can keep people out of churches, he's got them whipped already. Okay? But secondly, even if they end up coming to church, but their minds are on other things all the time, then a person has a divided heart. Okay? A person can have a divided heart, and it's, I think there's something to say about when our spirits are in agreement with our minds. In other words, our minds and our hearts are in agreement. And we're here to say, you know, now I was very young, okay? And people say things like, you know, young people aren't interested in that. Are you got to be kidding me, I was, okay? I wanted God when I was five years old. The only thing I knew, I sensed the call of God in my life when I was really young. And the only way that I could interpret that, was in light of my Methodist church that I was going to. Uh-huh. And so when I was really young, I remember we had just moved into this house and uh, we moved out of the city into the house in the suburbs. And, uh, and my mother, I don't know how, why she did, but she had these different sashes. You know how they would put those sashes on the pulpits? Yeah. And, like, yeah, yeah. and they would, beautiful, I mean like purple and stuff they would hang over and they've got laces. I don't I don't, for some reason we had a couple of those in our house. And so, I go. I go, Mom. Do we still have those, uh, whatever they're called? And she goes, Oh yeah. You yeah, know they're not being used. So I, w- I went down and I got them and I brought them up in my bedroom and I put them over my dresser where my clothes are, and I would hang them there. Okay, I remember it like it was yesterday. But see, that's the that is the only thing that I could. And I'm like eight years old, nine years old. That's the only way that I could say that's how I want to get close to God. Because when I was in the church, when I'm up there. I see those hanging over the pulpit where the preacher is, right, so maybe I can do that in my house, okay Amen but see that's the only that's the only thing I knew at that that point. I had a hunger for God, but i didn't I didn't know how to translate that, you know what I mean into like how do I do this, you know what I'm saying but but you know a person, do you know there's a lot of people out there that are in dead churches, so to speak, but that's all that they know, but they have a hunger for God. There's a lot of people out there in different circles and different churches that we wouldn't step into necessarily. But there's hungry hearts, and God is going to visit hungry hearts in these last days. He's going to visit hungry hearts. Amen. Amen. Amen? Praise God. He's going to visit hungry hearts. Hallelujah. He's going to visit them. He's going to visit them. He's going to visit them. And if you pray and say, Lord, send me to people that are open, that are hungry. I used to, when I first went to that church, I was telling you about, we, we had door-to-door ministry, you know, we'd, and I would do that. I was terrified of that, but I did it anyway. We'd go knock on doors randomly. Nowadays, it's a little differently, you know. We'd, and then we would uh, we'd have a, Three step plan to lead them to Christ, you know, and sometimes it worked. It was, you know, it wasn't unsuccessful, you know, but, but nowadays people are so, you know, who are they knocking on my door, you know what I'm saying? It's a little bit different back then. That's back when neighbors all knew each other, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was different. It was a lot different than it is nowadays. And, uh, but I, 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 remember, I remember I heard somebody share on the, along the lines that according to the Word of God that God would visit people that were hungry. And you can go like, for example, when um, Philip was in the city of Samaria and he was preaching a great revival, okay? And then the Lord called him to leave that big revival, so to speak, and go over into the desert. Mm-hmm. And there's one guy over there on a chariot, an Ethiopian eunuch, And it almost doesn't seem logical. You're thinking, we're having success. We're in this big city, big revival, you know. And then the Lord says, Philip, I'm calling you over here. And so he leaves the revival meeting of all these hundreds of people, maybe thousands, and goes over into the desert and he sees a guy sitting on a chariot. That's like a car today, right? And he's reading the book of Isaiah, but he's clueless as to what it meant. He's reading Isaiah 53. And the Spirit said to Philip, go join yourself to that chariot. Okay? See, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Now, he didn't have the whole picture. He didn't know everything. The first step was go into the desert. All right? So, he goes to the desert. He just believes, okay, Lord, what's next? He saw the guy on a chariot, okay, this Ethiopian guy from Ethiopia, from Africa. He says, go join yourself to him. He goes over there and he's reading Isaiah 53, but he doesn't know who Isaiah is talking about. And the Bible says that Philip preached Christ unto him. He says, I know who you're talking about. That's Jesus Isaiah 53 is talking about. And he he got saved right there. He got baptized there. And then Philip was translated away. Boom, 20 miles later. (laughs) Supernaturally. Talk about fast travel. I mean, that will beat the Jetchens any day. Amen? <laughs> and I know of people that have been translated. That's another subject where God will take you instantly into another place, another country. You know, God can do that. Okay? And so, the Lord would, I began to see a pattern in the book of Acts. And I didn't... Nobody taught this to me, but I began to see that any time that somebody was thirsty or hungry, God would send someone to them. Okay? When, when Paul went down to that particular place and there's women down there at the riverbank, you know you know and they were hungry for the things of God right and you'll see throughout the whole New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, God would take people to hungry hearted people and so little by little I began to I I began to do this okay now I'm not diversed from our subject about the goodness of God here, but it's so important that you and I learn how to be led of the Spirit when we do things. You know, it's really important, isn't it? And, and don't be frustrated. Don't be upset with yourself and say, Lord, it's just been so many years since I led someone to the Lord and it just doesn't seem like anybody's hungry out there. You ever felt that way before? But let me tell you something. There's always going to be hungry, thirsty people out there. And the Lord will use you, all of you, and your situation. Let me tell you something. If he could use me, he can use anybody. I was the most unqualified person, at least I felt I was, that God could ever use to do that to reach people. I really, I just didn't, I felt like I didn't have what it took. Amen? Well, I was meeting with a, a group of friends of mine, three in fact, that we used to meet every Friday night. His name was Pete, her, his wife's name was Patty, and my friend named Jim. <laughs> you knew all of them. And uh, and Pete and Patty, they were they were born again spirit-filled. He was a guitar player, you know, and he was older than me. He was about five or six years older than me. And we just struck up a relationship. And so, here's what we used to do. We'd meet every Friday night. We'd get together, we'd pray on Friday nights. And we'd worship, we'd go in his little living room. He had a house in Castle Shannon. You know, and we go over there, and and uh, he was a much better guitar player than I was, and I mean, it was just beautiful. We would sing and worship in his just in his living room, you know. And I remember he he had a red, uh, what are those setter, Irish, those setters dogs, Irish setter, Irish setter yeah. And it was Irish, yeah. you know. And uh, and uh, and the dog would even get in on it. He was like he loved it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we'd worship, you know, and and. Uh, so we, we did this like every, every week, as much as we could. We get together. But then there was one weekend where he told us, he says, Look, we're, we have something else going on Friday. Let's meet on Saturday instead. So he said, Okay. And it was normally we'd meet at night and we'd praise and pray and stuff like that, right? So this is a, an afternoon, like around lunchtime. So here we, we got together, myself, my friend Jim, and Pete and Patty, all right? This couple. And so we went to their house and we would do the same thing. We would just worship God. Thank Him, praise Him. You know, it was was like an open-ended thing, right? And so, we felt led. I don't know if it was one of us, but we felt led to pray because we had a heart to reach people. And we prayed. We said, Father, send us to hungry people. We're, We're gathered in a circle. We're holding hands, right? There's no campfire. We're just holding hands. We're praying together. And we said, just like this. We said, Father, Dan talked about petitions this morning. Marvelous. We just petitioned the Lord. We said, Father... We ask you to send us. We see from your word that you you would send the people to hungry people, you know, that and so forth to get them saved. And, and as we're praying for this very thing, we didn't expect God to answer us immediately. But all of a sudden, this is in the summer, his windows are wide open. As we're standing there praying together, just in agreement, Lord, send us to hungry people. We heard this commotion outside. Okay? We heard some noise. And so my friend being his house, he stepped outside and there's a woman in the front yard of his house. He's got big maple trees, two big maple trees that are, you know, 80 foot tall, big, huge, matured maple trees, right? And she's all distressed and upset and she's looking up into the tree. And I'm looking out the window in, inside the house and I'm thinking, what is, what's going on here? She's really, obviously, she was crying. She was upset. Long story short, she lived two doors down from him, and she had a pet parakeet, okay? You know, those real beautiful colored birds. There's was a green and yellow bird. And for some reason, the, per- the bird got out. She would let them out inside of her house, but then it slipped out through the door or one of the windows and, and got loose. So she's thinking, oh, my God, I'm in a panic, you know, because the bird's loose, my parakeet, right? Now, some people like dogs. Some people like pats pets are you know, whatever, different pets, but she liked her birds, right? And so the bird, this little parakeet, flew up into my friend's maple tree and just happened to be on the top branch. And that, that bird's up there singing away, free at last, free at last, thank God I'm free at last. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You could, you could see it. I mean, it was uh, you, the way you position yourself, you say, wow, that beautiful color, that bird up there, right? True story. And so my friend says, well, I'll tell you what. He goes, let me grab a little stepladder here, and I'll see if I can, you know, ease my way up there, you know, not quickly, and I'll see if I can get the bird. And sure enough, he, he got up there. My friend, it took him some time, but he got up there. We're all in the front yard. We just broke up our prayer meeting, right? We're not even thinking, right, that we, what we had just prayed. And she's ecstatic. I mean, she is like beyond. It was like you just gave her a million bucks. He came down with the bird in his hand, right? Just like the town right? Isn't a town and near Lancaster, right? <laughs> the Amish country. He came down with the bird in his hand. And I mean, you would have thought he just gave her a million dollars. She was so over thankful. She says, oh, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough. So he gives her the bird. She walks back to her house, two doors down. They had never met before, by the way. And um, we go back into the house and said, well, that was, re- that was really cool. And then all of a sudden, it hit us all at once. We're like, wait a minute, we just asked the Lord to send us to hungry people, right? And he said, let's go down to our house. So we got, you know, we just all marched over there, you know. We knocked on the door. Now, she's already excited to see us because she had what had just happened, right? And we're like, basically, we said, ma'am, can we talk to you? We need to talk to you about something. She goes, sure, come on in, man. She wanted to give us the house, you know what I'm saying? And we walk in, and then uh, we started to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with her. Now here's the thing, we didn't know this, but the night before this happened, she took a whole bottle of pills. I'm not sure what kind of pills she was. She said, she goes, I'll be honest with you, I'm so depressed, my husband left me, you know, and I'm all by myself and I'm so depressed. She goes, I took a whole bottle of pills last night thinking I would leave, die I was hurting so bad. And she goes, for some reason I woke up the next morning, which is today, completely normal. It should have killed her. She was going to commit suicide, right? When we shared the gospel with her, she welcomed it like you wouldn't believe. It was like, I want this. And she, it was so easy. We prayed with her. We just held hands you know, in her living room there. She received Christ. She got born again right there in that house, right then and there. And there's, there's coming a day we'll see that woman in heaven. Amen. I'll introduce her to you. Amen. <laughs> and she got saved. Now, I'll close with this because that was, that was how I kind of started with this. Okay? I wish I had time, but I just don't. But there's been many other occasions where I would pray the same type of prayer. Right? Lord, send me to hungry people. I don't want to ever get my eyes off the lost. We always want to keep... People are dying and going to hell. I mean, but we have the solution. You and I have the solution. We have what it takes. We have Jesus. Amen? Here's the thing. You don't have to beat the door down. You don't have to... Now I've seen people do that and it just turns people off because whether they're hungry or not, I'm going to bust that door down and try to get the gospel shoveled down their throats and I'll tell you, it just turns people off. You know what I mean? They're not ready. But... Do you think God knows that there's, like in this hotel, there's probably some people up there, right? Do you think there's probably one or two people that know that want they're they're hungry? Probably. Okay. Now we can just pray a simple little prayer and say, "No, Lord, I, this is wonderful because I had no intention on even sharing this today. But that's the way the Lord led me to to speak this morning. Okay. I got a, a lot of other good things that we didn't get to today." But do you think God knows who's hungry and thirsty? Do you all believe that? Okay. Let me tell you, God will use every one of you in this building. You don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to have gone to Bible school. All you need to know is I was blind, but now I see. That's all you need to know. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. God can use you and wants to use you right where you're at. Okay? There's no perfect human beings in this room. In the flesh, none of us are perfect, but God will still use us. Okay? I'm being stirred up myself in this area because I I, I need to keep this more and more before me as well. That Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay? And I, I can see in my spirit, you know, as we go out today from this moment forward, that testimony is going to start coming back. Because you're going to start to pray that, Lord, every week you say, Lord, show me, send me across the path of someone that's that's open. Okay? Don't just leave that up to the evangelist, you know. But you be the one. You be the man. You be the woman. the instrument that God will use to bring someone to Jesus. And the, the good thing is, is when the Lord leads you, it takes the struggle out of it. Now we all know what it's like to try to share the gospel with someone that doesn't want to hear it. I've been there and they just don't want, they're not ready for whatever reason. They're just not ready. They don't want to hear it. Yet there are other people, they've come to a place in their life of like utter frustration. And God can use that because when you have reached their rope's end, so to speak, you know, there's nothing else there. Hey, there's something more for you, you know. And God will open up that door so that you can step into their lives for that season. Amen. 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 And we can step. Grab that, Mike Lynn. We'll, we'll pray that here in just a second. I'll, I'll let you pray that. But um, Jesus said when He was in the earth, He says, I'm, I am the light of the world. But He goes, now I'm leaving. You're the light of the world. I was the salt of the earth. Now you're the salt of the earth. He said, now you're the light. You're the salt. We're the preservative. And I've sent even as I was sent by the Father, I'm sending you out. Jesus said into this world, okay? And we can just be going about our business, right? When there's no pressure, no pressure whatsoever, but all of a sudden God puts you in a position where you start communicating, amen? Praise the Lord. Now I know Brother Reza right here, is how you say it? You know, you had initially met Nancy, right? In her workplace, right? And so he was already saved, Nancy of course is saved, you know, and so they started, there's a business thing, right? They're meeting for what she does with the medical field and so forth. And all of a sudden there was a connection there as far as, and all of a sudden he's sitting there in that chair right now, okay? Now, this is gonna happen with all of us, okay? There are, There's other Christians, by the way, too. They're, they're not satisfied where they're at. They're not satisfied in life, you know, and they're looking for something more real. God will use you in that, that area as well,